We thank you, Lord God. We have the privilege and the opportunity to understand more of your word. Not only to understand it, but to apply it. Apply it to our own hearts and lives and apply it to those that we meet. That there's integrity in knowing the complete word. And so we honor you and we thank you for that opportunity. We ask you to bless Ruth that even though he has something prepared, your Holy Spirit will will speak to him about what to emphasize and how to proceed. I thank you, Lord, for that anointing that he has and that we are ready to receive in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. So the title for today's class is The Battlefield for the Glory. The Battlefield for the Glory. And uh, I'm going to start off briefly in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the first thing... The foremost first thing always has to be the Word. Amen. It's it's things that people say out of revelation or out of soulish need to be right or whatever they're saying that isn't in agreement with this Word or isn't the Word itself doesn't have the same foundation for us that the Word does. God gave us this Word so we could know Him and we could know how to live our lives. So the word always comes first, but notice that the light came and the darkness could not comprehend it. The darkness, that word comprehend means it couldn't seize it and control it and keep it from shining. So the first thing that comes is the word, and then there comes a war between the darkness and the light. Let's move on. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay. After the war, the word and the war, comes the prophet. Oh, wow. This man came to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe, it says. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which gives life to every man coming into the world. And then skip ahead to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. So first the Word, then the war, then the prophet, then the glory comes. And then go down to verse 29. Or 19, I'm saying. Verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? So after you have the word, the war, the prophet, and the glory, religion comes and attacks the prophet. (laughs) And tries to stifle the message. The reason I'm opening up with this is that that same thing is happening right now in our day. Mm-hmm. And people have asked me about it. When we live in dangerous and tumultuous times on earth, the Lord raises up prophets. Yes. The reason he raises up prophets throughout all of the Bible is to point fingers at tyrannical evil rulers and to uh, warn his people about what's coming so they can take appropriate action. That's why prophets get raised up. So the prophets speak a message. There's people who hear the message, they love the message, and they want to be in accord with the message. Then religion comes and hates the message. 
And then there's even people who are Judas's. <coughs> they betray the message. <coughs> Some of them were even believers who heard the message and liked it at first, but then something <laughs> happened and they changed their mind and decided to betray the message. See, religion says that unless you look like us, sound like us, and do everything the way we're used to, you can't serve God. You understand what I'm saying? Now, how many have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? Quite a few. Quite a few. Okay. Anyway, the, what happened in that movie is that the hippies and the people who caught on to this message of the love of Christ didn't look like people in churches in Southern California. And one pastor took a risk after he met this guy named Lonnie Frisbee and at Calvary Chapel it was, and he decided to let him come in and preach there, and he started bringing more and more and more people. The guy got nervous, he got upset, but it just exploded, and there was nothing he could do about it. And some of his best contributors and longest members left because they didn't want to be around the people that came in, but it became hugely successful. They had to pitch a tent outside the church to hold more and more people. And it spilled over into other ministries eventually. Calvary Chapel gave birth to the Vineyard and other ministries in Southern California that are still active and very important in Christianity in that area today. But the people in the church, the religious people, didn't like the people that were coming in because they didn't look like them, they didn't sound like them. And the same thing is starting to happen now. Okay, there's going to be a new Jesus people movement, a new revolution, and it already started in places like Asbury and other Christian colleges where it was students, not leaders, who just birthed revival by their testimony and their love for God and their hunger for God. Mm, amen. And so one prophet in particular has said that this new Jesus people movement is going to be a revolution that's not going to end this time. Mm, praise God. The Jesus people revolution started in 1967 and by around 1973 it was over already. But this time it's not going to end. And it's going to come from cowboys, hippies, pierced people, tattooed people, homosexuals, people coming out of LGBTQ, addicts and musicians. And they're going to come to church and we need to be ready to receive them with love because they are going to love each other. Amen. And if we don't love them, they'll reject us and go out and do their own thing somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's shame on us then. We have to be ready to receive them. Now I'm going to go way, way back in time in the Old Testament and show you how the same thing happened once before. <laughs> but um, the thing is, the prophets that are speaking today, some of them don't look like the religious people want them to look. They don't sound like religious people want them to sound. You know, Robin Bullock has long hair and plays rock music and dresses all in black, and Cat Kerr has pink hair, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what they prophesy almost always lines up with God's word. And they have a proven track record of their prophetic words coming to pass. The problem is that many prophets prophesied that Trump would have a second term, and when it didn't happen right away, the religious people said the prophets missed it, they're false prophets. 
May I remind you that Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Christ seven or eight hundred years before he came. Everyone in his day would have called him a false prophet. But it happened just exactly like he said. Zechariah, Micah, many other prophets had prophecies concerning the Christ and the Messiah and how and when he would come. They were all absolutely perfectly correct as we've looked at when we looked at the scriptures predicting the coming of Messiah and the fulfillment in the New Testament. And the same thing is happening now except that this religion that's coming against the prophets, some outspoken religious leaders have actually come out outspoken against prophets. Mm-hmm. And they even formed a a group that wanted the prophets to sign a letter saying they're going to run their prophecies by this committee before they speak them out loud. And there were some prophets who kowtowed to that, but the true ones who I know they're hearing from God, they wouldn't sign anything. They'd tell them to take their letter and shove it. You know? And rightfully, rightfully so. So let's go back to a, another time in history. Remember, this is about the battlefield for the glory. So the first place I'm going to go is Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verses 18 through 23. Exodus 33, 18 through 23. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, So it shall be that when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand when I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The word cleft could mean a crack, a hole, a pit, or a cave. It doesn't, it's not just a a vertical cleft like we think of and picture in our mind. And the ancient Jewish teachers, when they were interpreting these verses from the original Hebrew, they believed that God didn't actually pass by Moses. He actually passed through him and took him to the future to teach him something that he would need to know in the future. How many know that with God all things are possible? Okay, now let's go to First Kings, First Kings, chapter nineteen, verses one through ten. First, now we're in the time of Elijah and Elisha and Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah had just defeated all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And uh, in verse nine, chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, by tomorrow about this time. So a great victory was won by the prophet, and then religion comes up and wants to kill him. When he saw that, when Elijah saw that, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. 
Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, he ate, and he drank, and he went through the and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. Many of the Jewish ancient teachers believe that the cave that Elijah went into is the same cleft in the rock where God hid Moses when he passed by him. The exact same place. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is verse 10. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I am I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. But then God said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Now, at that point, the teaching is that Elijah also was taken into the future when God passed by him. And I'm going to tell you what that all means in a moment. But we know these verses. A great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. So, now let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Oh, wow. So when the Lord took Moses and Elijah from their own time separately into the future, they appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was talking to them. He was telling them things they needed to know. When Moses came down from his encounter, his face was shining so brightly that he had to put a veil over his head so the Israelites could stand to have him be around them. Mm. And when Elijah came back from his encounter, he did incredible miracles that only Moses had done anything like that before. And he had never done anything like that in his own ministry until that had happened. We're going to read the scriptures about that in a minute. They both learned something that changed their life forever. The other thing that Moses learned was that he was going to lead the people to the edge of the promised land, but he was not going to be able to enter it himself. And the place he led them to was at the Jordan River, just opposite the city of Jericho. Okay, so keep that in mind. I'm going to go back to 1 Kings now. First Kings chapter 21, verses 17 through 23. 1 Kings 21, 17 through 23. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Yeah. Now, Elijah had also been told by Jesus that he was going to be taken up in a whirlwind to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And when he gave this prophecy about Jezebel being eaten by dogs at the wall of Jezreel, all the prophets from the school of the prophets where he was their head teacher decided to leave him. It was too harsh a prophecy. They couldn't tolerate that. Wow. The same way that Jesus, remember when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you'll have no part in me. And a lot of the followers said, this is a very difficult teaching, and they left. And then he went to the disciples and he said, are you going to leave also? And Peter said, you have the words of life. Where else can we go? We're not going to leave you. But just as Jesus was left over a harsh word that people couldn't take in at the time, Elijah was abandoned over a harsh word that people couldn't take in at the time. It doesn't matter that the word came true after he had already been taken up and he never got to see it. But the consequences of him speaking that word when he did caused the um, landscape and the prophetic community to change drastically. Second Kings chapter 2. So here's what happened. We're going to start... In verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Gilgal is the home of the school of the prophets. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Bethel is the house of the Lord. Remember Jacob had his wrestling with God, and he laid his head on a stone, and he built an altar and said, From now on, this place is going to be called Bethel, because he wrestled with God, and he won a blessing. So the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Or shut up. Don't talk about it. (laughs) But how did they know? I think Elijah went and told them, This is what the Lord has shown me. And they came out and started mocking Elisha about it because they didn't believe him anymore. He was a proven prophet. He was their teacher. But after that Jezebel prophecy, they just didn't trust him or want to believe him anymore. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered and said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. (laughs) 
Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Moses had struck the Red Sea with his staff, and the whole nation of Israel walked through on dry ground, it says. It wasn't slippery ground. It wasn't muddy ground. It wasn't ground that had just been covered with water. It was dry ground. But it's even a greater miracle to part a river. A sea is stationary, but a river is constantly moving. To have the water stop on both sides and not continue moving is more miraculous than parting a sea in a lot of ways because of the you know, just the general physics of it. So like I said, because of that encounter with Jesus, they both found out something that changed their lives. Elijah found out he was going to be taken up and he was going to do miracles even greater than what Moses had done. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened. As they continued on and talked, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. Now this whirlwind and this whole scene was between the men on the opposite shore and what was happening between Elijah and Elisha. Mm -hmm. They didn't see what was happening. They only saw the wind. And uh, Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, it says in verse 11. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father. Now this is interesting, and this is where it gets controversial, so please, you can uh, tar and feather me or whatever. But I'm going to say it anyway. Why did he say, My father, my father, twice? Okay. I'm going to tell you. When they went across the Jordan River opposite Jericho, they came to the exact place where Moses had been buried. No one knew the burial place, but that's where it was because he made it to the Jordan opposite Jericho and then couldn't cross over and he died there. When when Elijah was taken up, Alive, Moses was resurrected at the same time. Jesus told them this was going to happen on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's why Elisha looked up and said, My father, my father, because he saw both of them being taken up together. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those who are living will be caught up in the air to meet them. And that is fulfilled by Moses and Elijah being taken up together to be with the Lord. One resurrected from a grave and the other taken up alive. You can ponder this. You can ask the Holy Spirit to prove the truth of it to you. It's not in the scripture exactly. But people see certain things from the Word of God. And they interpret it based on what the Holy Spirit is telling them. And if it doesn't contradict God's Word, then you have to consider it. Amen. So... 
So he saw him no more, it says in verse 12. He took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So now he's doing the same miracle that Elijah did because his the mantle of Elijah had fallen on Elisha. Mm-hmm. Now the prophets who were on the other side said the spirit, this is verse 15, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. But then they said to him, Look now, here are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. Mm -hmm. I saw what happened. He was taken up just like he said he was going to be, but they didn't believe it because they didn't see it. They were prophets. They saw that the spirit of Elijah had fallen on Elisha, that he had performed a great miracle the same way they had just seen Elijah do, and they still didn't believe his his testimony. So they sent 50 people across the river. They searched for three days, and they didn't find Elijah's body because he'd been taken up. Mm-hmm. When they came back to Elisha, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, don't go? Yeah. <laughs> well, then Elijah, Elisha retraces the steps that they had taken on the way down to the Jordan. First they go to Jericho, then they go from Jericho to Bethel. In uh, in verse 23, it says, Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Now, they're not talking about his hair. They're saying that his covering, Elijah, his master, his spiritual covering, had been taken from him, and that he had said, Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind, and they're saying to Elisha, go up, go up. You say that that's what happened, do it yourself. Well, didn't they mock Jesus when he was on the cross? If you're the Son of God, save yourself. You know? So they were mocking him because they're prophets, but they no longer believe the word of the prophet. The same thing that's happening now. Some of the prophets, some of the religious people don't want to believe the word of the prophets anymore. Mm. And the same thing happened at the time of Jesus. It's tragic when those kind of things happen. Mm-hmm. Then he went, well, so anyway, Elisha got a little angry at their mocking and pronounced a curse on them. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the 50 youths who were mocking them. Then he went from there to Gilgal and then Mount Carmel and returned to Samaria, it says. Okay. Let's move on from that. In um, Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 6, it talks about Moses dying across the Jordan from Jericho and verifies that it's probably that same place from where they were taken up. Are we going there? No. No. I'm going back to the the word, the war, the prophet, the glory, and the religion. John chapter 6. Gospel of John chapter 6, verse 29. This is a verse I would recommend everyone take a really good hard look at and commit to your memory banks. In verse 28, the disciples said to him, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? 
Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And wasn't the problem with all these prophets was that they got into unbelief? Okay, then I'll go to verses 41, and I'll read on from there. The Jews complained about Jesus because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this... Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophet, I will raise him up at the last day. It doesn't say, I'll raise them up. And then there'll be a seven years of tribulation and all this other stuff. And, and then the last day will come. It says, I will raise them up on the last day. That's a red-letter verse in my Bible. Jesus himself is speaking. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Goes on the things that we have previously described. We have to eat the bread, the body of Christ. And then in um, verse 63... Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you, verse 65, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away also? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So what we have to do is first recognize the parallel between what was going on at the time of Jesus and what went on with Elijah and Elisha back in the first and second kings. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing being played out again. A harsh word is given. People don't want to receive it, even though it's the truth. They come against it. They fall away because of unbelief. And a harsh word was given to you about a different view of what's coming in the world last week during our lesson. And many of you want to believe it and will believe it, and some of you will be skeptical and won't choose to believe it. But the problem is, unless you line up with God's narrative and what the truth is from the Word, you're going to miss out on some stuff. The reason I'm teaching these things is to get you into a place where you can be in line with God's plans and not the world's plans. Amen. It's just critical because none of us are getting younger and there's going to be great change coming. Before this end of this year, many of these changes and these new people coming in and all this stuff is going to start happening and we have to be prepared to deal with it in a way that is blessing God and putting us in the position that we want to be in. So we're entering into an arena of decision. 
Will we believe the new move of the Spirit or believe religion? Mm, no. A new move of God has already begun. A revolution of the Spirit. It's a continuation of the Jesus People movement from 1967 through the early 70s. It's a revolution of the glory of God and it's going to look different. When the hippies and the pierced and the tattoos and the drug addicts, musicians and gay and LGBTQ people start coming to Jesus and, and wanting to love each other and seek discipleship, how are we going to react to them? Religion will hate them. Religion says anyone outside of our particular doctrine is wrong. You can't look, act, or sound differently from them, the religious people, and serve the Lord. But we must accept them with love because they will surely love one another. Amen. And the Holy Spirit wants all his people free. I have come to believe that um, homosexuality and addictions are strongholds that are put on people by the enemy to keep them from their destiny in the Lord and that many of them are actually destined to be evangelists for their people groups. So when people are saved from homosexuality, they will be evangelists to the homosexual community. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when you are comforted by the Lord, you have now an anointing to comfort others in the same way you yourself have also been comforted. So when these tumultuous and dangerous times come upon the world scene and God raises up prophets to point the finger at evil and tyrannical rulers trying to push an antichrist spirit into the earth and to warn believers about what's coming, that's when we have entered the valley of decision and the war between the light and the darkness. So the message is proclaimed. Disciples, believers love the message and carry it to the world. Religion hates the message and tries to stifle it. Judas's betray the message and turn against the prophets. We need to be true disciples of the message being proclaimed and not any of those other categories. Amen. I want to open it up for questions right now. I think some of you may want to ask me a few things. Don't be shy. Yes. There's a revival. I think where I got the car, a revival in Ocala in a couple weekends. Have you heard about that one? Yes. Yeah. We already have tickets for yeah, it. Yes, yeah, so do we. Okay. Who else has tickets? It's, uh, it's oh, Lance Wallnow and Mario Murillo. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the 19th, 20th, and 21st or something like yeah. that. Yeah. something that the Lord's just really been stirring in me. First, uh, First Timothy chapter 1, where Paul um, is speaking to Timothy there. And um, he says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge them that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to the fables and endless genealogies which calls disputes rather than godly edification, which is a faith. And this is the verse. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Amen. And it's just been like, you know, really making sure that, you know, we say these things so easily, but it, it just it reminds me so much of what you're saying. The only way we can receive things is that 
take us out of our quote-unquote comfort zone yeah. is to have that pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. And I think something that we always need to do. Thank you. That's good. Um, is there any truth to the CDC interfering with the Asbury revival by saying that they didn't want the gathering of 20,000 people, which is the number that's been recorded, that a measles outbreak took place? Was that to stop what was going on? Because then the chancellor closed it down. I, I don't know that. I know that the uh, the camp, the, the college needed to have what was going on moved off campus because it would disrupt other campus activities. And there's people who aren't part of it that want to go on with their school life as usual and not be totally disrupted by 20,000 people being on that small campus. So all they wanted was for the whatever was happening to move to a different venue. That's what I've heard. I, don't, I haven't heard what you spoke about. But um, Rump Arena was told to me where it was. Okay. Well, I also heard that the community was a part of that too. It was interrupting the events of the community, the town, yeah, and and other schools, probably your elementary oh, school. And <laughs> so <it> was, <laughs> they wanted it. Stopped. Yeah, the um, that's that's a perfect example of. Religion rising up to quench or stifle the move of the spirit in whatever way it happens. And um, so I'm going to end this whole class next week by going over almost all the things we covered last week, and I'll bring up some new things. And um, it'll be interesting, I'm sure. And um, but one of the emphasis, the thing I want to emphasize is, as far as I know, there's nowhere in here where the Bible predicts that our world is going to be turned over to the Antichrist, the Luciferian spirit, the darkness for a season. And then Jesus is going to come and rescue everybody. Jesus is not coming on a rescue mission. He's coming for a victorious church and a glorious, spotless bride. That's what he's coming for. He said, you will not see me again till people from every tribe and tongue stand in Jerusalem and say, Baruch haba Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what Jesus is waiting for. And he doesn't know when all that's going to happen. He said only the Father knows. So people who claim to know, you have to question where their knowledge is coming from and if it's really true or not. Uh, we have a friend who's been listening to people who have preached that we're in the Great Tribulation right now and that any minute, great Christ is going to come and rapture the church. I said, you know, you can believe that if you want to, but it's not in the Bible. <laughs> you know, they're, they're interpreting things in a way that speaks of human imagination rather than spirit-led revelation. That's good. And, you know, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to separate between soul and spirit. Imagination is one of the senses of the soul. Mm -hmm. But the Word of God that comes through revelation comes in through to our spirit. And so because the Word is what separates between soul and spirit... It helps you discern mm -hmm. what is a spirit-led revelation and what is a soulish imagination. You just need to ask Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you. Mm -hmm.
if things I'm teaching in this class don't resonate with your spirit and you seek the Holy Spirit about the truth of it, don't believe it. You know, if it does witness to your spirit and you don't have any catch from the Holy Spirit in your own spirit, then believe it. I think that in when in John 14 verses 12 through 14, where he's saying, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. What it really means is if you ask anything in accordance with who I am and what I'm planning, I'll do it. And this narrative about the end times and what's coming, if you're a futurist and you believe that all the bad stuff recorded in Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation is still going to happen in the future, but the truth is that those things are already fulfilled, they already happened, and the scriptures we read last week about the kingdom and how it coming and lasting forever, never being turned over to other people, and being given to the saints of the Most High who do glorious exploits. If you believe that, then you need to put yourself in line with what God is planning so you can receive the blessings and the promises of God in your life for now. Amen. Because he's going to pour out his spirit. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be empowered. Ooh, glory. But people who don't believe or who haven't come in line will miss out on some of that. You're not your salvation isn't in question. Mm-hmm. Even a person who just wants fire insurance and says the prayer and never does another thing is going to be seen in heaven. But he's going to wonder, how come everybody else has all these great rewards and I got nothing? (laughs) So, just something to think about. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go over a few of the scriptures that we covered last week since we have time to do so. Oh, what was that scripture? The second Timothy? First Timothy. First. Yeah, especially verse 5. Verse 5. Anything else? Steve? Do you think it's possible that when God passed through Moses when he was in the cleft of the rock, the same future, that he saw himself being resurrected with Elijah? I think that Jesus told them what was going to happen. That's what I think. I mean, I think that Moses had peace about not crossing over the Jordan into the promised land when the time came. And maybe that knowledge that Jesus had shared about it gave him a measure of peace because Moses was a great servant of God. You know, he he made some mistakes. We all do. Debbie. Uh, yeah. I'm always hesitant to go outside of any other books other than in the Bible. Right. I was always taught this is what God's word was. Me too. So I never go into different books. I don't either. Okay. People have wanted to give me all kinds of different books. You know, there's, there's really good books that say what some person thinks about what the Bible says. You mean like Maccabees? I'm saying like... Well, Maccabees, no, the, those things. those kind of things are historical mm-hmm. in nature. And it's 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 just, it seems like it's a general knowledge that they happened. So, and then the, the stuff about the, when Titus came and when Nero was right. persecuting Christians and a couple other evil emperors after Titus were persecuting Christians severely, those are historical things that people accept as true history, even though they're not in the Bible. Right. And so I, I'm willing to allow historical reference to confirm Bible happenings that aren't recorded in the Bible. That's different. What I don't do is I don't read the book <coughs> of Enoch, and I don't read you know other books that aren't in the Bible. And I don't read books about the Bible written by people. I used to. I read a lot of, many, many, many books when I was a young believer by all kinds of great people, and I learned a lot from them. I just 
got to the point where all I want to read is this. Just don't even turn to these scriptures. Just listen and sit for a few minutes. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Now, that word peace... It doesn't mean absence of war. It means the peace that's available to us as believers, regardless of our circumstances. Jesus said, I give you the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. That's the peace that this is referring to. Thank you, Lord. Okay? Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with justice and just and judgment from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then in Daniel, chapter 2, A great stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image that Nebuchadnezzar had seen in a dream on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all those other kingdoms that did happen exactly in the order that the Daniel had predicted, were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. A little bit of leaven in the filled the whole dough with leaven. Verse 44 of Daniel 2. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall not, it shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Chapter 7. The saints of the Most High God shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. The Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints, verse 22 of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. That time is now. Thank you, Lord. Verse 27. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall, shall serve and obey him. In Genesis 1.26, when God made man, he said, Have dominion over everything that I created on earth, mm-hmm. all the other living things. We lost that dominion when we handed it over to Satan through our through sin. Jesus came to take it back. Hallelujah. So the kingdom started when Jesus appeared on the scene. And it really started when he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was fulfilled as much as he could do when he died on the cross and said, it is finished. Now it's up to us, the saints of the Most High God, to bring about that kingdom filling the whole earth and fulfill the Great Commission. That's what he came to teach us, that this is what we need to do. Oh, 
let's get into all this next week. Are there any other questions? I'm going to call it a day. Anybody? Thank you. To God be the glory. Thank you, Lord. Lord. I thank you and bless you and praise you for these wonderful uh, people, Lord, who are so hungry for your word and for to understand. And I pray that you'll open their hearts and their ears and their understanding to hear what the word of God is saying to them personally and that they can apply it to their own lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.